G'day mate, 40 here. So I came across an interesting quote from Dennis Prager's radio producer and the man who came up with the idea for Prager University, for which we're all very grateful. This is Alan Estrin, who was only good and kind to me. All right, we used to go to the same synagogue between 1994 and 1998, so very kind, very nice man. And he says about Dennis Prager, through his radio show, his writing, and now Prager U, meaning Prager University, he changes the way you live for the better. He makes you a better person, a better father, a better son, a better mother, a better daughter. Name another public figure who does that, right? That's quite a challenge. Right, and I, I'm afraid that I, I can't live up to those kind of moral qualifications. I mean, I've I struggled to put out my rules for life, but you know, why the hell would you want to know my rules for life? I haven't, you know, accomplished anything. But Dave Rubin, on the other hand, right, I mean, this man is absolutely a phenomenon, and he used to do a show for the Young Turks. And then in 2015, right, he started moving towards the right, and he came out with his rules for, for how he wants to do his show. That a couple ground rules for how we're going to do this show. Rule number one, I promise you that beyond anything else, I will not blatantly lie to you. One of our biggest problems these days is nobody knows who to trust anymore. We have politicians who lie endlessly in a mainstream media that helps them do it, either by asking the wrong questions or not asking any questions at all. Then we have an online media that is fact-checked by nobody, thus left to its own devices. I will do my best to get information to you in an honest way. I will get things wrong sometimes, but it won't be intentional. And that brings me to number two. Please fact-check me if you hear me say something that you think is factually unsound or patently wrong. Call me out on it. Tweet at me. Wow, this is what we need in public life. So if there's any, anyone who kind of comes close to what Dennis Prager is doing, I think it's pretty much uh, Dave Rubin. Uh, this is the man with the best of intentions. I mean, it reminds me a bit of Jerry Springer. Like, Jerry Springer went into TV to do good. He didn't go into TV to create trash, but he wanted to make the world a better place. And Dave Rubin is an earnest young man who wants to make the world a better place, and he has very high moral ideals. Respond in the YouTube comments or email me. I'll discuss them with the team, and we'll address the ones that should be addressed. And we'll even credit you for it. Rule number three, I won't talk about people's personal lives unless they're hypocritical politicians. It seems to me we've gotten in a really bad habit of thinking that everyone's business is our business and nobody has a right to privacy. That's just not going to be what we do here. I don't care what people do in their bedroom or in their personal life as long as it isn't a politician voting one way and doing something else privately. Just because people someone do hacks in their into someone's email or there are naked pictures of some celebrity doesn't mean we have to feed this monster. Rule number four, I won't be a partisan hack. One of the worst things on cable news is that they think debate is taking a Republican operative and a Democratic strategist, sitting them across from each other, and letting them go at it. That is not debate. That's just drivel. Do you know how many former White House officials and party leaders work for the cable news channels? I don't know either, but yeah, it's a lot. Yes, I tend to agree more with people on the left, but I'm not in this for the Democrats. I think they're as sold out and as corrupt as the Republicans, and I'm going to call them both out for it. Rule number five, I will consistently stand for liberal values, and I won't demonize everyone who disagrees with me. This is great. I mean, this is wonderful stuff. This can just absolutely transform your life, particularly if you're a live streamer or a pundit, radio host. I believe in free speech. I want minorities to be treated equally. I want women to be treated equally. I want gays to be treated equally. I want everybody to be treated. This is a great guy. Yeah, this is Dave Rubin from 2015, man. This is so inspiring.
treated equally, and these are the principles that I will always defend. And please note there that I said equally. I don't think anyone deserves special treatment or special favors. And then when we're all equal, we can treat everyone as crappy as they treat us, you know, the American dream. Rule number six, we're gonna talk about big ideas here. We're so bogged down in attacking people that we rarely talk about why we are talking about them at all. I want to talk about what the role of government should be, what kind of foreign policy we should have, ethical debates about abortion and stem cell research, not about the small-minded people who are often driving the conversations. This is going to be a tough one because sometimes these people have to be addressed, but I'll try to do it sparingly and for good reason. Rule number seven, I promise to keep reading as many of your tweets, comments, and messages as humanly possible. I want this to be a conversation, not just me talking at you. You should know that I struggle reading anything that's over 140 characters. Rule number eight, I won't fake outrage for clicks and views. There's enough ranting and raving on TV and online, and if that's what you're looking for, look elsewhere. Rule number nine, I'm going to be relating things back to Star Wars often, usually in a pretty coherent way, but that might require you to do some homework. And if a Star Wars reference goes over your head, you can't just try to figure it out. You have to actually do it. In the words of Yoda, try not, do or do not, there is no try. And rule number 10, I will not always live up to these rules, but I will try, I mean do, the best I can. I mean, this is so moving because I was just figuring out i had no intention of doing a live stream today but i kind of got a, a prompt from laponius and i thought how can i you know, leave laponius you know all alone bereft right he needs some comic relief let me let me produce something for laponius so here i am but I was, I was just writing today i was trying to think uh which which other gurus does dennis prager most uh, remind me of and i was thinking dave rubin right a lot of similarities here i mean these are these are both these are both men who make you a better woman, a better mother, a better wife, a better son, a better father, make you a better person. Like these are both men who change your life for the better. I mean, through their radio shows, through their writing. I mean, Dave Rubin published a book, guys. I mean, he published a book, one of the premier premier intellectuals of our time. Just doesn't get enough credit. And so Quillette had this article about uh, Dave Rubin, like a whole story of Dave Rubin from his, his days as a stand-up comic to his time with the Young Turks. And it's so inspiring, all right? The Rubin Report rules he pledged would change all that and distinguish his show from all the other media, mainstream or otherwise, plagued by bias, partisanship, dishonesty, and intolerance. Kind of reminds me about... Uh, Five years ago, I came up with a code of conduct for the show, and I was surprised that it had such an effect on people. Like, it removed 90% of the bad behavior in the chat almost immediately. So even if you can't live up to your rules for life or your code of conduct or your ideals for yourself, I think this is great what, what Dave Rubin did here. He, he set this really high standard. And so, yeah, I'm sure he's in, imperfect. But uh, here's Quillette. So he, he closes the, the author closes the tab on that 2015 Dave Rubin video and switches to Dave Rubin's Twitter feed. So his most recent tweet at the time, this was written in December of 2022, describes California's Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, as a genuine psychopath and a soulless evil cartoon villain. Wait, is this... Is this... You know, won't be a partisan hack, won't talk about people's personal lives. 
I won't demonize everyone who disagrees with me. We're going to talk about big ideas. I won't fake outrage for clicks and views. But Gavin Newsom is just a genuine psychopath and a soulless evil cartoon. I think Gavin Newsom is an above-average governor. <laughs> All right, average but above-average. That's where I'd place him. Uh, Dave Rubin tweets that uh, Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell is a complete effing idiot, that Noam Chomsky is a, quote, truly disgusting human being, and that Anthony Fauci is evil incarnate. In a reply to an anti-Zionist tweet from Mia Khalifa, the former porn star that he defended from haters back in 2015, Dave Rubin remarks in 2022, you've had too many loads blown on your face. All right, so the former comic who used words like retard and the N-word in his stand-up routines, right, now he's tweeting that the idea that vaccines work is a lie circulated by the Democrats and the media. He says the war in Ukraine is part of the Great Reset, that uh, Dinesh D'Souza's dismal election conspiracy film, 2000 Mules, is very compelling and that it is not a giant leap after two years of demonizing certain people who want a medical choice not to get the COVID vaccine to compare them. Guess who he's going to compare them to? You're right, to the Jews before the Holocaust. <laughs> how, will I, how will I recover from my identity being confused <laughs> with a man from Scotland? So... Yeah, I'm just concerned about how is this going to affect my, my dating life. So there was a Luke Ford arrested in, in Scotland for very bad behavior. And I'm concerned that this is going to make it harder for me to, to date. But I'm going to get through this w with you together. Together we're going we're gonna to get through this. So this guy did some very bad things. And I, I disavow what he did. All right, from the Scottish Sun. Wannabe Scots actor found guilty of rape for secretly not using condom during sex in stealthing conviction first. So I'm not Luke Ford the rapist, please. The aspiring actor has become the first man in Scotland to be convicted of rape for secretly not using a condom during sex. The historic case marks the first prosecution in Scotland of stealthing, stealthing, which means removing or not using a condom during sex without a partner's knowledge. I've never done this. I, I can't imagine doing this. This is bad. Luke Ford was found guilty on Friday, but it's not me. All right. Different Luke Ford, guys. Totally different. I mean, I wouldn't engage in this behavior. Campaigners have hailed the verdict as a major landmark in tackling the underreported crime. Luke Ford, 33. All right. I'm clearly 56. Was found guilty on Friday of 18 charges of abusing seven female partners, including raping five of them and the attempted rape of another. The trial heard that Ford terrorized the women over a 12-year period, targeting them on dating apps before mounting a campaign of abuse. He did more than mount campaigns of abuse. He's an actor and model who starred in a music video, This Is A Love Song, and he claims he was a stand-in for Brad Pitt on the film World War Z. I was almost a stand-in on the Oliver Stone Nixon film, but I'd mistakenly cut my hair after or just right before they were going to bring me in. In the stealthing case, he met the woman, a psychologist on Tinder in 2017. After a few dates, they discussed having sex. She told Ford he had to use protection when they were in bed, handed him a condom, but he later told her he hadn't used it. I was shocked and upset. I didn't know I would not have had sex with him without a condom. I asked him to leave. I felt 
completely violated. When she confronted him with pregnancy concerns, he called her paranoid and told her to take the morning after pill. Uh, Colin Liddell says, Americans are really bad at racism. So let's see what's going on here. The economics are supporting racism. Washman gets two and a half years for impersonating a Viking. Okay, the crazy way the war might end. Amy Wax on the unholy war against white men. New Twitter CEO. Right, let me click through to breaking news here on Colin Liddell's. Welshman gets, yeah, two and a half years for impersonating a, a Viking. Very bad. Very, very bad. He was a stunt double in World War Z. Yeah, I need a PR company to consult with me on my, my next steps. Okay, what's, uh, remember I did a big stream about three weeks ago, the next economic crisis Here's the Welshman getting two and a half years for impersonating a Viking. All right, remember I did a big show about three weeks ago. Next economic crisis will be commercial real estate and regional banks. They're crashing, crashing, crashing. Commercial real estate fire sale happening in the city of San Francisco right now, folks, and coming soon to a bank or a pension near you. Tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars in losses on the sale of each and every single office tower in the whole city of San Francisco. And San Fran is not alone here. What's happening in San Francisco right now will happen in virtually every single major metropolitan area in the United States as the mother of all asset bubbles caused by decades of zero interest rate policy combines with the work from home and remote work phenomenon and that combines with the Fed's interest rate tightening cycle to create a perfect storm of money burning chaos starting right now in the city of San Francisco. What's up, guys? I'm Nobody Special, and check this one out here in Globestreet.com. Fire sale on San Francisco office buildings continues. Two more buildings list for half of what they previously fetched. And I just want to add a little emphasis that they are only listing for half of what they previously fetched. These things haven't even sold yet. Now, this article on Globe Street touches on four specific properties in the city of San Francisco. And as you're looking at these numbers, keep in mind that these things sit as assets on the balance sheets of either banks that are already struggling with solvency issues because of unrealized losses from things like U.S. Treasuries and bonds. But they're also sitting on the balance sheets of pension funds. Don't think this is just a they problem. This is very much a you problem. This stuff is sitting in your retirement accounts. We're not prepared to call it a doom cycle yet, but that's the term some analysts are beginning to attach to downtown San Francisco, where a fire sale of office towers has begun to accelerate in the hollowed out city center. Two more downtown office properties have been listed this. Okay, so it's downtowns that have a lot of crime, right? Like Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, New York City, Chicago, but uh, other cities, I don't think this is nearly as intense. So if you got grit and disgusting things going on, feces all over the place and massive amounts of crime, then people are definitely going to want to work from home. If you keep your downtown nice and safe, I don't think this will be nearly as severe. This month with pricing that reflects collapsing office valuations in San Francisco. First up is this little beauty, 123 Townsend Street. Now, this is actually one of the few buildings in the whole city to survive the great earthquake of 1906, but it may not survive the great earthquake of Jerome Powell in his rate hikes. This building was bought just three years ago by CBRE investment managers for $140 million. And now, just three years later, they put this on the market 
for $90 million. Now, keep in mind, this thing hasn't even sold yet. The asking price alone is $90 million, down from $140 million just three years ago. This building is currently owned by a fund managed by CBRE Investment Managers, which markets to pension funds, which means when this building finally sells for somewhere around $90 million, they hope all of those losses will be realized by pension funds. This is sitting in people's retirements. This is teachers, county, state workers. This is not some wealthy Wall Streeter that's going to get... Okay, so we got a bloodbath coming in commercial real estate and in regional banks. All right, back to terrific article here on Colette. All right, so one may or agree or disagree with Dave Rubin's intemperate opinions, but they bear absolutely no relation to the noble principles of charity and good faith debate to which Dave Rubin sensibly committed himself back in 2015. So the Rubin report is built on promises its host cannot keep. So Dave Rubin said he wanted to have calm, rational conversations with guests offering different perspectives on a variety of topics. His show would help de-escalate the political polarization and help heal our democracy. Right, so not only is Dave Rubin intellectually and temperamentally unsuited to this kind of discussion, he soon discovered his viewers didn't want to hear it anyway. Right, so he did a bunch of early interviews with actors, activists, news anchors, and policy specialists, got no traction. Right, the, the Rubin Report only became a hit when he refocused his attention on the online right. His flamethrowers were invited onto his show to denounce the intolerant excesses of the online left. So Ben Shapiro was stopped by 11 times, and a clip from one interview with Ben has shown 8.2 million views. So what kind of clip will get you 8.2 million views? Whoa. All right, so we've talked we about go. a lot of stuff that we sort of agree on. Mm -hmm. I haven't agreed with everything, but I'm letting you talk. People always yell at me. They say, you don't, you don't yell back at your... Uh, well, let's, let's, do the, let's do the spicy so let's, stuff. So yeah, let's, let's, let's get into stuff. some other stuff. So, so the gay marriage thing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk gay marriage. Sure. You're not big on gay marriage. No, I'm, I'm not at a not on a social level. I think the government ought to be completely out of the business of marriage. I think the government sucks at everything is my is my short message for today. The government is terrible at everything. If the government's goal was to forward traditional marriage, it utterly failed, obviously, as proof. OK, so this idea that the government is terrible at everything as compared to what? Like private enterprise, private enterprise is good at some things, uh, not so good at other things. Some private enterprises are esteemable. Others are disgusting. Right. The government has delivered us our mail pretty efficiently and effectively for over 200 years. Right. Uh, you can drive all around the United States on government funded roads. We have national parks that are funded by the government. We have social security checks going out every month. That's from the government. So this idea the government's terrible at everything is absurd. Right. Uh, I think I want to hear more there from. Uh, Ben Shapiro. I mean, this is this is silly. All right, various clips from Milo Yiannopoulos' first interview of three, plus a UCLA event, have a combined 6.5 million views. Candace Owens' first interview is 2.7 million views. All right, and then in 2018, the Rubin Report peaked with the emergence of an ad hoc movement the founding member Eric Weinstein christened the Intellectual Dark Web. And so it was on David Rubin's channel that a previously obscure Canadian psychology professor named Jordan Peterson was provided with the time to expound upon his ideas. Same opportunity was given to Brett Weinstein, former biology professor pushed out of Evergreen College by a student mob. 
And so his shows with Ben Shapiro, John Peterson, Majid Nawa, Sam Harris, and the Weinstein brothers dwelt at length on the problems of the left. But they provided something richer and more stimulating than mainstream TV, and millions of viewers loved it. So Dave Rubin, by accident, found himself part of something huge. He was profiled in the New York Times by Barry Weiss. But there was a problem. Dave Rubin likes speaking to intellectuals, but he is not an intellectual, and he is ill-suited to intellectual discussion. He is a talk show host. He has a softball interviewing style. Right? He doesn't know much. When the author asks him what books he's read recently, he can't name any. So Dave Rubin's ideas would never what drew in the crowds. Right? He's not unique in offering long-form interviews. So what, uh, what got him going was, you know, fire-breathing rhetoric from right-wingers. It was the very opposite of what he was talking about. So when uh, Paul Joseph Watson said, I care about white people and not about sand, N-word, Paki, Jew, F-A-G-G, Coons, I really think you should press the button to wipe Jews off the face of the earth. Right? So... When Paul Joseph Watson appeared as a guest on the Rubin Report, you know, uh, Dave Rubin you know, described him as part of this new growing center and enthused about his phenomenal video on the regressive left. So the only time that Dave Rubin's congeniality wavers is when he finds himself talking to the occasional anti-Trump guest. So Dave Rubin really likes Donald Trump because Donald Trump supported his his marriage congratulated him on his marriage so when uh, dave rubin and his husband met donald trump the two men were had dinner at mar-a-lago and trump said i want to shake your hand that's just great he learned that the two men were married so the left was critical of him but the right embraced him and made him rich but when uh, there's a little bit of pushback from the right over his uh, hiring of surrogates to have have children for him, right? Uh, didn't feel he seemed pretty shaken by all that. Let's see if we can get a little bit of that from his Glenn Beck appearance. I get why the right has these, what I would argue are often legitimate fears because the left does not stop eating civilization. Correct. And think about what an unfortunate position that puts us in because then someone like me can make an announcement like this, then good, decent, thoughtful conservatives, some of faith, maybe some of some not of faith, whatever it is, could reach out and say, boy, this, this is what an interesting opportunity and sure it's a little different and, and whatever, all, all the love that, that you and the Blaze guys and everyone else are giving me. And then, and then there's this other part that's legit, which is, uh-oh, if we move the line, they're gonna keep going. And I don't know what the answer to that is. Dave. I honestly don't because that has nothing to do with me and how I'm gonna live my life. I think, and this is why I wanted to have you on because I don't have an answer. I am, you know me, I am a deeply religious man, and my religion says man and a woman, uh, that is the basic building block of family. We are so, we're probably the clearest church on this, because it's been in mm -hmm. our, 
in our doctrine for 200 years. So we're very clear on that. But that's marriage and relationships. And that's what I believe. But I also am... I also, I also know God created you just like he created me, flaws and all. Uh, you know, um, I believe I have a gene, they've never found it, that makes me very susceptible to alcoholism because it runs in my family. So does craziness, but it runs in my family. The same thing with things that I don't understand. And if we can't have a conversation about things that we don't necessarily understand and probably won't until we get to the other side. We have to just work it out together and be able to say, Dave, I, 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 I disagree or I don't know um, what the answer is, but I love you. Hey, this is uh, Milo Yiannopoulos here on uh, two months ago, Milo openly called for Dave Rubin and his husband to be executed. All right, so much of the uh, conservative support for Dave Rubin was pretty silent when March 16, 2022, Dave Rubin announced that he and his husband would be having two sons by a surrogate to be born in August and October. Some of his more liberal conservative friends cheered the news, including Carol Markowitz, Kat Tempf, Kyle Kashuv. Others like Ben Shapiro, Charlie Kirk, and Candace Owens maintained a conspicuous public silence. One Christian nationalist radio host wanted to know how this would help us win the culture war. All right, that's uh, Dave Riley. Then another religious commentator wanted to know the whereabouts of the baby's mothers. Where is this baby's mother? Whose womb and whose babies these images come from? Does she not exist? So the right was not so thrilled with uh, Dave Rubin here and his husband hiring surrogates to give them babies. All right, so what, what gave birth to this uh, little Dave Rubin segment? I was just trying to think uh, what, what uh, gurus you know, most kind of resemble uh, Dennis Prager. So I was thinking Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson. Uh, we are really in for mm, some serious stuff. The, oh, the no. electrical grid cannot support the demands being made with the, because of the environmentalists, the use of environment to crush society. That's what it is. That's all every leftist movement is. It is the use of a group to crush society. The, uh, the civil rights activists use black, uh, black Americans to crush society. Feminists use women to crush society. The trans activists use trans people to crush society. The environmentalists use the environment to crush society. One day, people will realize it, and it will be too late because people refuse to realize it now. People prefer not to stare into the abyss. That's why I said all of my life, evil is not dark. Evil is so bright, you can't even stare at it. Somebody called me up and pointed out Lucifer is from light. So there, there you go. If that is meaningful to you, and it is quite a remarkable thing when you think about it. On Substack, Robert Bryce wrote, On May 4th, members of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission delivered stark warnings to the members of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Again, are you with me, folks? Again, the Federal Ed Energy Regulatory Commission. FERC. 
delivered stark warnings to the members of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Okay. The agency's acting chairman, Willie Phillips, told the senators, quote, we face unprecedented challenges to the reliability of our nation's electric system. Okay. That's very bad. That is very, very bad. It is completely because of Joe Biden and the Democrats. Completely. It is 100%. It has nothing to do with Putin. It has nothing to do with global warming, except that that is used as the excuse to destroy our economy. Now, why do these people want to destroy the economy? Yeah, why do the Democrats, why do these damn Democrats want to destroy our economy? I mean, how could anyone just pretending to operate in good faith just make proclamations like, you know, the Democrats just want to destroy our economy? Yeah, the Democrats want to change the economy, right? They want to provide incentives and disincentives to change the direction of the economy, to change our consumption of fossil fuels. But this idea that Democrats just want to destroy the economy, I mean, that is just hysterical right-wing grifting. Uh, it's just low IQ, you know, outrage. I, I mean, how does anyone who takes themselves at all seriously can look themselves in the mirror who pretends to have any kind of integrity can just go on a nationally syndicated radio show like Dennis Prager hosts, and just proclaim, oh, Democrats want to destroy our economy. There are lots of great criticisms to make of the Democrats, to make of their plans for the energy industry, for their, for their uh, negative attitude towards fossil fuels, for their pushing for more and more of our energy to come from the electrical grid, which will be placed under straight. Right, valid criticisms and concerns, but you, you destroy... The ability of anyone who's not already a rabid partisan to take you seriously when you make these proclamations like, you know, the Democrats just want to destroy the economy. Because in chaos, they gain power. It is all about chaos. Do not raise your child to be a boy or a girl. There are Hollywood actresses who have announced that. They don't raise their child as a boy or a girl. If that is in child abuse, then the term should be eliminated. But oh, that is another subject. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a good idea, raising children without an identity as a boy or a girl. But if you want to compare that to, you know, a father sexually molesting his you know, three-year-old child, I would say it's better to be raised, you know, non-binary than to be, you know, sexually abused uh, as a young child by your parents. Like, we, we've just expanded child abuse to mean anything short of what the speaker regards as ultimate human flourishing. I think it's a bad idea to raise children without a, a male or a female identity, but to say it, it's child abuse, meaning in, in the popular mind, you know, akin to a parent sexually molesting a child, is just incredible hyperbole and overstatement and hysteria. It is all related, but it is another subject. You want intersectionality? I'll tell you where there's intersectionality on the left. All of these causes are to destroy Western civilization. If you don't understand that, then you don't. No, it's, they're not out to destroy Western civilization. They want to change Western civilization, just like those of us on the right want to change Western civilization. Right? We all want to change Western civilization. Now, the left would say, oh, people on the right, they want to install fascism and just destroy Western civilization. People on the right will say, oh, the left, they're all commies. They want to destroy Western civilization. But it's hyperbole. It's hysteria. You can't take anyone seriously who employs these kind of arguments. Don't understand the left. Tell me what they have not destroyed. Do you think Yale is what it was 25, 50, 100 years? Okay, what, what has the uh, left not destroyed? Well, America still has 
the world's best universities, however flawed they are, uh, most of big tech is dominated by the left. All right, we are talking right now across big tech, which is dominated by the left. Uh, the left dominates medicine. The left dominates all the professions. So yeah, there are problems in medicine. There are problems in law. There are problems in dentistry. There are problems in social work. But uh, the, the left dominates all the professions, all our institutions, and the power still comes on. The streets still get swept clean. We still have the best medical system in the world for all its flaws. Most medical innovation still takes place in the United States. Most pharmaceutical innovation still takes place in the United States. We have the most powerful military. We have the world's most powerful economy. We have the world's most influential culture, right? Flawed, yes, but to say that the left has just destroyed all our institutions seems a tad hyperbolic to me. Years ago, do you think the American Medical Association is? Tell me what you think is better. What institution has higher standards of excellence? I can't name one. Okay, so where are the superior right-wing universities? Where are the superior right-wing versions of the New York Times? Where are the superior right-wing versions of the New Yorker? Right? How come the right hasn't successfully, you know, out-excelled the left and built superior institutions? We are in for quite a ride. What happens when you just don't get electric power? And do you understand the movement towards everything being electric, even your stove, that the movement from coal and natural gas, do you understand that we won't have enough electricity, let alone to power all cars? Okay, so step back from the hyperbole and the hysteria. Recognize that our political instincts, like our personality, like our intelligence, our predispositions towards violence, our predispositions towards you know aberrant behavior, our predispositions towards you know just fitting in and going along with the tribe. These are all heavily genetic, right? We are here as the process of evolution, right? We part of a multi-million-year process of species adapting to our environments. The environment itself is constantly moving, so this process is never ending. I'm looking at. Terrific 2013 academic book, Predisposed Liberals, Conservatives, and the Biology of Political Differences. All right, this is a book by three left-wing political science academics, but it's still a great book. All right, evolution is not a destination. It's a temporary, sometimes lagging accommodation to environmental realities that exist at a certain time. So when our environment shifts, our evolution will move in a different direction. So no genetically-based political predisposition is more or less evolved, right? The right-wing response to life, the left-wing response to life, these are both evolutionarily developed adaptations to changing environments. And in certain circumstances, in certain environments, a left-wing adaptation will be more adaptive, meaning you'll be more likely to pass on your genes with a left-wing approach to organizing community and family. In other environments, a right-wing approach with more fear of strangers, with a greater desire for order and cleanliness, all right, a right-wing approach will appear more adaptive. So we have selective pressures in changing environments and frequently, right, you know, dangerous environments will favor individuals with a high degree of negativity bias, all right, who are particularly worried about the awful things that could happen. This tends to be people on the right. Right? 
people who approach novel situations with great caution these are people on the right people who are particularly loyal to their group and suspicious of outsiders these are people on the right people who are most likely to avoid danger people who are the least likely to open themselves up to situations in which they might be vulnerable these are predispositions of those of us on the right so we are responsive and highly attentive to threats right so we have right-wing conservative political predispositions then in certain circumstances individuals who try new things who open themselves up to outsiders who have little or no negativity bias all right in certain circumstance that is a winning strategy right if you're not in a terribly dangerous situation that may very well be a superior strategy so social units isolated from threats for a long period of time right may very well have permitted the development of you know proto left-wingers in the mix but you know most hunter-gatherers can expect they'd need to keep a constant eye on the horizon even on the next hut so these were likely to be conservative societies they did not make big changes in the way they did things and those genetically inclined to take chances to go through life marching to the beat of their own drummer they were probably selected against but now in most parts of the developed world today we don't have the same constant life-threatening worries that existed in the distant past so people today can expand their circle of social contacts and of their ethical concerns beyond their family beyond their tribe to people far away perhaps even to animals not everyone will take this opportunity but we have largely a reduction in strong selection pressures that uh, encourage tremendous variation in genetically influenced predispositions towards either liberalism or conservatism so you can see the left-wing approach to life the liberal approach to life is an evolutionary luxury afforded by negative stimuli meaning danger becoming less prevalent and less deadly now if our environment shifts to a threat-filled atmosphere then it's more likely that Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States if in the fall of next year life is relatively safe and prosperous then overwhelmingly Democrats are more likely to do well in the election so in dangerous situations Republicans right-wingers are going to tend to do better in easygoing safe situations you know the left is very likely to do better so these traits like orientation towards our group openness to new experience heightened negativity bias right they fit more naturally with social rather than economic issues so economic positions really are secondary in politics so people who are ethnocentric really don't give a fig for individual rights they don't really worry that much about the free market so picture a conservative community we'll call it conservaton has a strong neighborhood watch program right people are law-abiding they're heavily armed schools emphasize discipline respect for authority they build their curriculums around rule-based instruction like phonics for reading memorize memorizing formulas for math homes are well maintained they have similar colors they're fronted by beautifully manicured lawns there's a church on nearly every block congregants give generously to them the conservative community is likely to be quiet after 10 p.m. in fact it's going to be pretty quiet much of the time the restaurants are going to be cozy and familiar they're not going to change their menus they're going to specialize in American foods and lots of it people will dress predictably and nicely people will be clicky they're not going to take to outside as much and they're going to be especially wary of the residents of the only other town of consequence in this imaginary country Liberalville right so Liberalville is a perfect place for people on the left to live 
Right, their schools will promote experience rather than rules. Their curriculum will change with the latest educational fads and experiments. The houses will be an architectural hodgepodge. The liberals will emphasize preserving the character of older buildings, even if this means foregoing modern amenities. The wood floors will get the nod over wall-to-wall carpeting. Lawns are unlikely to be showered with the copious amounts of chemicals and water needed to maintain thick carpets of green grass. Some residents won't even bother mowing. They'll just let nature rip and enjoy the results. So Liberalville will be light on churches, but it'll have lots of hip bars and pubs. It'll have a community theater. It'll have coffee shops that sponsor interpretive readings and poetry slams. There'll be movies that will bring in award-winning documentaries and foreign films. They'll have new restaurants constantly potting up, popping up. You can go for all sorts of different types of food. High school sports teams will be a joke. The marching band will be bad. The kids in Liberalville will always be forming and reforming garage bands, some of which will be quite good. Liberalville is never quiet. People come and go at all hours. Something's always happening. The loudness will extend to fashion. So conservatonians would not be caught dead wearing the clothes that liberals delight in sporting. Liberals tend to travel a good deal, sometimes going abroad. So the population of Liberalville is much more diverse than the conservative community. And you'll hear many languages other than English being spoken. So liberals like new and different. New and different people, new and different ways of living, new and different clothing, new and different art. So people in Liberalville are going to be open to all kinds and all lifestyles with one important exception, conservatives. So these are our evolutionary adaptations now expressing themselves in right and left-wing politics. That was reported. I am shocked, by the way. Isn't this federal? Isn't this part of the bureaucracy? Federal Energy Regulatory Commission? They told the truth? It's, it's not only stark, it's shocking that they didn't lie. FERC Commissioner Mark Christie echoed Phillips' warning, saying the U.S. electric grid is, quote, heading for a very catastrophic situation in terms of reliability. By the way, was this reported in the New York Times? L.A. Times? Washington Post? CNN? MSNBC? NPR? PBS? Is it, was it reported by anybody? This, is, this should be banner headlines in the United States of America, my friends. We are heading for a very catastrophic situation in terms of reliability of the electric grid. This is the commissioner of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I wonder if he'll be fired. But you know what? A tree that fell in the forest and no one heard. It did make a noise, but it's irrelevant. I am reading a book now, which is probably stupid of me to read because it's very dark. It's about a remarkable Polish man. Uh, Okay, so I just want to point out the agenda of epistemic sabotage that's going on here. I mean, does anyone without an agenda really believe that Joe Biden and the Democrats want to destroy the economy, that Democrats are the sole reason for strains on the electric grid, that uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats want to destroy Western civilization. So Prager's agenda here is really epistemic sabotage. He wants to know, you to know that you are being lied to by big government, big media, big law, big academia, and the like, that he's on your side battling the nefarious elites, that he will give you the truth, the best of his ability, while the establishment sources, they'll just lie to you. So hear that rant. Was this reported in the New York Times, the LA Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, NPR, PBS? So like the typical guru, Dennis tells you that competing sources of information are lying to you, but he will give you the truth. Now, this particular committee hearing was not reported in these mainstream outlets by May 15, 2023, but they've all done numerous, numerous stories on strains to the electric grid. Uh, The New York Times, for example, in the 
past year has published 20 such stories, including, we desperately need a new power grid. Here's how to make it happen. New York Times, winter forecast, gas and electric bills will soar. New York Times, U.S. has billions for wind and solar projects. Good luck plugging them in. New York Times, amid heat wave, California asks electric vehicle owners to limit charging. New York Times, just how good for the planet is that big electric pickup truck? New York Times, California narrowly averts an electricity crisis amid scorching heat. So all these news sources that Dennis Prager was castigating have done innumerable stories about strains to the electric grid. But he's presenting it as though you can't trust the New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, NPR, PBS. You, you can just trust him and his you know, select coterie. So this is epistemic sabotage. You're trying to limit people's access, their people's, not access, people's interest in other sources of information, make their world narrower. It's a more extreme version of joining a cult where you're discouraged from accessing you know, outside sources of information. So that's why I call it epistemic sabotage. It wants to limit people's you know, choices in information and try to make the presenter, the radio host, the more important guy that people get the truth from. So I've spoken to many of Dennis Prager's schoolmates. I was just kind of curious how he came across. And he was always a charismatic person, <clears throat> meaning that uh, you felt more energy after you interacted with Dennis Prager. So he was elected uh, president of his class from first grade all the way through 12th grade. And so Prager's classmates, they were amused by his big mouth. They liked Dennis, but they didn't look up to him. And it never really occurred to them that he was a good source for truth or for morality. So it's been more than 50 years since Dennis Prager's graduated from high school, but none of his classmates, to the best of my knowledge, have changed their minds on this score. Hey, you're probably wondering what the heck's going on with Fox News. Now, you might have missed it over the weekend, what with the revelation yesterday that the FBI attempted to swing a presidential election. But on Saturday, Joe Biden gave one of the most divisive speeches in a generation by a sitting president. Giving the commencement address at Howard University, Biden said the following. 20. Racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. White supremacy. Does Joe Biden mean it? Does he believe white supremacy is the greatest threat to America? If he does, there can be no greater sign of incompetence. The global rise of the Chinese Communist Party, unsustainable and unfettered illegal immigration, which, by the way, you cannot have a welfare state and open borders. You will cease to exist. The world on the brink of nuclear war in Ukraine and Joe Biden's own personal boogeyman, Vladimir Putin. If he believes white supremacy is the greatest threat to democracy, we should immediately invoke the 25th Amendment. Imp okay, I um, don't think I need to add. I'm not a big fan of Joe Biden. I'm not a big fan of the left saying that, you know, white supremacy is the number one issue facing us. I would say that white supremacy does not rank in the top 100 problems in the United States. So I was thinking today, like, which, which gurus does Dennis Prager most resemble? And one that came to mind is Adam Curtis. So that was one of 
the big differences between myself and Kevin Michael Grace. He was a big Adam Curtis fan. Uh, I just found uh, Adam Curtis ludicrous. So there's a website, Little White Lies, published a good analysis on Adam Curtis back in 2016. He poses as a maverick educator like Indiana Jones and a stone-faced doomsayer. The two halves balance each other out, resulting in the soothing impression of a bloke down the pub normalcy. So Adam Curtis is a big-picture filmmaker driven by grand ambition, very much like uh, Dave Rubin and Dennis Prager. He embraces obscure intellectual concepts over banal storytelling. He likes to name the unnameable. He searches for patterns rather than conventional revelation. Sounds very guru-esque. He offers the impression he's reporting from the other side of the looking glass, a privileged position where the eccentric shifts of global power can be viewed with chilling clarity. Sounds like Dennis Prager. But the way he presents his arguments suggests that he trades on the ignorance of his audience. Again, Dennis Prager. One thing that I noticed as I was studying Dennis Prager and going through his speeches, that the more ignorant the person, the more likely they were to be enthused about Dennis Prager. On the other hand, people who really knew something about a topic, they didn't care what Dennis Prager had to say. So after speeches, all sorts of people would crowd around Dennis Prager to get his insights into the Bible, into Judaism. But people who are actually Bible scholars or Torah scholars or Talmud scholars, they had no interest whatsoever in what Dennis Prager had to say. Uh, people would ask Dennis Prager uh, questions about history, but I noticed that trained historians had no interest in what Dennis Prager had to say. People would ask Dennis Prager all these pressing questions about psychology, but people who had training in psychology had no interest in what Dennis Prager had to say. People would ask Dennis Prager about economics and politics and anthropology, theology, but everyone who had training in these fields, I noticed they had no interest in what Dennis Prager had to say. So the more learning... I noticed the less likely people are to have any interest or even enthusiasm for what Dennis Prager has to say. On the other hand, as soon as I meet someone who's incredibly enthused about what Dennis Prager has to say, I know I've met someone who's pretty much ignorant in that field. So Dennis Prager has published uh, three Bible commentaries, and I've enjoyed them. I just finished reading uh, two of them uh, today, the one on Genesis, the, the one on Exodus, and there's some enjoyable stuff in there. I mean, Dennis Prager is no Bible scholar. I mean, depending on what you're looking for, th there's some you know, interesting, mildly interesting stuff in these Bible commentaries. And depending on where you are in life, it could really you know, change your life. But it's only going to change your life if you're ignorant about the Bible, right? If you're a Bible scholar, right, Dennis Prager's Bible commentaries aren't going to mean anything to you. If you're a scholar of politics, Dennis Prager's political commentaries are going to mean anything to you. If you're a scholar of psychology or anthropology or history, Dennis Prager's commentaries on those subjects aren't going to mean anything to you. So this is about Adam Curtis, but it could just as well go for Dennis Prager and these other gurus. He knows that as long as he frames himself in a position of authority, he can say anything he likes and will swallow it whole. But how does he do this? It's a question of tone. So Adam Curtis or Dennis Prager believe that declaiming something with conviction imbues it with the essence of truth. Right? And so Adam Curtis or Dennis Prager, their war-to-war voiceover narration 
uh, are rife with sweeping statements which act as the teetering temples for their thesis. So neither Adam Curtis nor Dennis Prager really resort to qualification. So for them, history is a finite continuum where events either happen or they didn't. There's no dual perspective because it would be dramatically counterproductive to introduce qualifications. And the New York Review of Books in 2021 had an excellent essay, The Paranoid Style at Adam Curtis. Right? All the seductions of conspiracy theory without the substance. So the mainstream press treat Adam Curtis as a cutting-edge filmmaker, public intellectual, and Dennis Prager is treated in mainstream conservatism as you know, a major intellectual. Uh, both have followings that accept them as major intellectuals. Right? There's a steady stream of commenters attesting to how Adam Curtis or Dennis Prager is just blowing their minds. Now, for someone who's thoughtful, Adam Curtis or Dennis Prager will reduce you to a flustered traffic cop constantly yelling, wait! Right? So with, with both of them, their narration constantly leaps from a minor detail to a wide claim that sweeps everything off the table. The effect is like being buttonholed by a child who begs to skip homework by presenting an impromptu lecture. So conspiracists like Adam Curtis and I'd add Dennis Prager are obsessed with elites and politicians and the system. Right? They're like kids under the covers overhearing grown folks talking, reducing complex relations to Star Wars set pieces. Remember Dave Rubin said he used constant Star Wars references. You know that Adam Curtis always asserts he is a journalist, but as the narrator of his own films, he feels compelled to, compelled to dismiss journalists. Right, this is pure paranoid fragmentation. Here we have a paranoid individual like all other paranoid individuals, but insisting on being unlike all others. So he is everywhere and nowhere. So for Adam Curtis, also Dennis Prager, all human behavior comes a monochromatic cloud of intention that can be tracked like a flight. Distinct forces play against distinct forces without the complications of chance or the constraint of details. One scientific blunder becomes the failure of science itself. See, Dennis do, does this all the time. The AMA says something stupid, and it's the absolute failure of uh, medicine itself. One overeager journalist becomes the field itself. Eras and cohorts and ideas are smooth circles rounded off by the totalizing buff of power's omnipotence. Okay. wonder what uh, Chuck Johnson has to say. Many Here he is years. talking to Richard Spencer. He's very much of the sort of binational security state, which is what Netanyahu called the cultivation of these relationships. Um, and um, that's sort of like the backdrop on him. Now, he uh, has basically tried to monetize. That's the euphemism for sell out after you do your government service. He's tried to monetize his Rolodex after leaving federal employee. And he's also quite cross with Joe Biden for making the very great William Burns director of CIA. He's very cross about this. He doesn't like this. Okay. So he, uh, with Blinken, went to Blink, you know, they, they, they sort of had this situation where the Hunter Biden laptop stuff was circulating. Now, we don't even know if it was a laptop, for one. We know that there are pictures of him. He looked to be taken from certain weird angles, right? Like, like yeah. it looks to be done through his iPhone. We know that Pegasus, for instance, can turn on cameras, okay? And we know that this was very likely an iCloud hack. Yeah. Now, 
that makes a lot of sense. I have never bought the story about the the actual laptop with that weird blind guy. A blind guy whose surname is Mac, who has an Apple rest- repair store. Now, you know, you and I are of a, I don't know, I'm walking by this, like, Book of Mormon weirdness. Uh, anyway, um, so you and I are of a certain social class. Um, would you and I ever be caught dead in a place like John Mac's I, you know, Apple repair store? I mean, he's getting paid a million dollars. Presumably, he could have taken the taken the laptop to to the genius, to the genius bar. bar. Yeah, and presumably he could have yeah. had one of the you know Chinese spies he was purportedly fucking. Presumably he could have had one of them do it for him, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like the mechanics of this thing, and then of course, people start to notice. Um, hmm. Huh. Mm, uh, where was Hunter the day that the uh, that the laptop was supposedly brought there? Oh, he was across the country. In California, how could he be in two places at once? Yeah, you know. So there's like all these basic bitch questions that like, why would he leave it there for ninety days? Like you're. I don't trust Chuck Johnson, who's doing the talking here, and I don't trust ignoring Chuck Johnson. So I'm kind of impaled in between with the position that uh, Chuck Johnson says some important things. He's way ahead of the curve on some stories, and then I think he's completely out to lunch on others. And uh, sometimes it's hard to tell which is which. You give someone your laptop and you forget about it? I mean, I can I can understand forgetting a sweater at the dry cleaners or something. I don't know. You know, I'm a nerd, so laptop, I, like, I have a bunch just... of laptops. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily know where they all are, right? So, but like, okay, whatever, fine. Like, let's grant that that's possible. Okay, fine. But, you know, your blind guy whose, name, whose surname is Mac, okay, Mac, Apple, like you could see the Israelis were having fun with this one. Right. And, you know, doing their little parallel construction. And then, of course, like... Tim Apple. Yeah, a Tim Apple, right? Um, <laughs> and, of course, you know, it just so happens they're like, nothing is secure except, uh, except Microsoft and possibly Oracle. Oracle's a great American company headed by a Mossad agent. Oh, wow. Okay? Yeah. And, so, you know, Stafford Katz for the win, who, by the way, Arthur Schwartz and other people wanted to be National Security Advisor of the United States of America, because that's normal. Okay? So anyway, I'm, I'm, my basic takeaway on this is that Hunter's a Fed that when you saw the scene from The Departed where Leonardo DiCaprio is like hanging out with Martin Sheen and with, uh, with Mr. Wahlberg, and they're saying, do you want to be a cop or do you want to appear to be a cop? Yeah. I think Hunter wanted to be a naval intelligence officer. That is what he was going for after his dear brother died. Yeah. And I think he is still a naval intelligence officer. I think that's why he's able to go certain places that other people can't go. And I think that's why he's not going to get in any trouble for all the things that he purportedly did. So that's kind of my my takeaway on it. Now, I will tell you, like, if you work on technology stuff, you meet with and deal with a number of people who are probably spies from different countries. There's a level of acceptable dalliance with spies and there's a level of unacceptable dalliance. You can take money from mm-hmm. spies. Not least of which because we oftentimes want to know 
where their bank accounts are. Okay. Mm. So you can take money all the time. That's how you get a, you know, if you, if you get a wire from one of them, that's how you can identify where their money is. If you need to seize the accounts. Okay. So there's a long history of this kind of thing. And if you're running an operation, you oftentimes want to get your enemy to pay for that operation so that you can steal their money. This is a very common technique. Okay, because like, let's say you're China and you've got a budget for black ops kind of nonsense going on. Yeah. And you're running around and you're throwing around all these dollars. Well, Uncle Sam wants those dollars to come home to Uncle Sam. So he's going to figure out ways to buy hook or by crook get those dollars. And that's kind of what an intelligence operation or a counterintelligence operation is all about. Hmm. And I might know more about this than I'm talking about on Elmo's platform. Let's just put it that way. So, yeah, the last uh, two minutes, I think there was some good stuff there. Okay, how to raise what, 89 million in donations, in small donations that make it disappear. Right? A group of conservative operatives using sophisticated robocalls raised millions of dollars from donors using pro-police and pro-veteran messages. Instead of using the money to promote ideas and candidates, all the money went to pay the firms making the calls and the operatives themselves. So remember, Sunday I did two shows on putting Carla? the con in conservatism. Finally, it's good to hear a kind voice. That last call was tougher on me than my mother-in-law's meatloaf. <laughs> I'm only kidding. All right, he's asking for donations. This is Frank Wallace calling for the American Police Officers Alliance. Very quickly, we're mailing out the envelopes to help fight for our officers who protect our nation's citizens, just like yourself. Once you receive your card in the mail, you can send back whatever you think is fair this time. That's all. All right, not a policeman, not even a human being. This is a computer making thousands of robocalls with the same folksy voice. All right, what the hell's going on here? All right. I'm Dave Ferenthal. I'm a reporter. For- Unless you know otherwise, just just assume that uh, every conservative come on for your money is a scam. For the New York Times, uh, I'm an investigative reporter writing about nonprofits. So that means all different kinds of nonprofits, from traditional charities to trade groups to uh, political groups. I started at the Times in January 2022. And at the time, I asked people through Twitter and other forums, like, Give me some story ideas. I'm starting on this nonprofit beat. I wanted to know where to start looking. And I got an anonymous tip about what are called 527 groups, nonprofits that are sort of created to be political and and make a difference in politics. The tip was that there was this network of groups that had raised a huge amount of money for politics but hadn't spent it on politics. And the tipster had an inkling that the money actually had gone back to insiders rather than going toward any sort of political ends. We took that and began to run with it building this huge database of information that pointed in the same direction the tipster had pointed this. The story is about five groups that on the surface appear to be interested in helping veterans, police officers, firefighters that raise huge amounts of money by robocalls. They call people at their houses and tell them they're raising money to help the police. When you hear the word robocall, you think of a robot voice or, you know, maybe somebody in a call center overseas. That's not what these calls sound like. Carla? Finally, it's good to hear a kind voice. That last call was tougher on me than my mother-in-law's meatloaf. (laughs) I'm only kidding. When you pick up the phone, it sounds like you're talking to a middle-aged cop, kind of a weary fundraiser. And they start with 
jokes often about how nobody answers their calls, about how tired they are, about how tough the last call was. Sometimes even sort of guilt trips encapsulated in a dad joke where you pick up the phone and the guy says, oh, finally, you know, you're harder to reach than a rabbit on roller skates. Oh, there you are. I was beginning to think everyone was ignoring me like my wife and kids do. (laughs) And so you think you're talking to a real person. It sounds like a real American, but it's not. You're talking to a computer. This amazing technology where they pre-record not just the initial sales pitch, but also, "Uh uh-huh, no, you know, thank you. What, What was that? All the different parts of a conversation. And there's a guy sitting behind a computer, clicking these buttons to make that thing talk to you. And almost anything you could say back to it, they have a pre-programmed response that they'll play. This is Frank Wallace calling for the American Police Officers Alliance. Very quickly, we're mailing out the envelopes to help fight for our officers who protect our nation's citizens, just like yourself. Once you receive your card in the mail, you can send back whatever you think is fair this time. That's all. So the main way these groups raise money is robocalls. I mean, huge amounts of $89 million over a few years. But it's really hard to tell from the public filings where that money went. Just to give you a little sense of how hard it is to understand how these groups work, they file public disclosure files. Okay, so you can learn something about a movement or a media operation or a talk show or a TV show by who sponsors them, right? Uh, what's their audience? And you know how stupid are the ads and the cons that go along with links to the IRS every six months, usually sometimes more than that. And so you think, okay, well, they have to say something about what they're doing. But it's like trying to find a bunch of shredded documents and then putting them back together so you could see what they meant originally. So what we did was we took their filings, which are in this really Byzantine, hard to use IRS site, and then took, I think, 15,000 pages of them, scraped them all on the computer and made them all into a giant spreadsheet so we could search all those transactions, added them up. So suddenly, instead of seeing 130,000 transactions as small as a dollar, we see, okay, there's 424 vendors that got some of this money. And, you know, among them, there's 50 vendors that got significant amounts. And so then we started to figure out, okay, who are these vendors? Which of them appear like they're insiders, like they only exist to do business with this network of nonprofits, then going to corporate records to figure out who owns them, to finally figure out, okay, we have a universe of insider-connected vendors. These are the people that we think are both running the nonprofits, and also making money off them. Okay, here's a much more deadly scam. Right, so an evangelical preacher in Kenya told his followers to starve to meet Jesus. Hundreds of people did this and died, right? Thousands of people were drawn to a remote wilderness in southeastern Kenya by the end times preaching of Pastor Paul McKenzie. Right, but... This is just a more extreme version of what Dennis Prager is doing and other right-wing pundits. And they say that we're in a civil war. Could it happen here? It is happening here, meaning invoking Nazi Germany. Right? So these people were told that if they just starved themselves to meet Jesus. And their relatives tried to intervene. Ex-members tried to intervene. Their, their families tried to intervene. But hundreds of people ended up starving themselves to meet Jesus. So what kind of people vulnerable to this kind of cult. So what kind of state was I in when I fell for Dennis Prager's you know, irresistible uh, thought bubble, right? Their gurus are very good at creating an enticing, uh, hard-to-resist series of beliefs and, and systems that uh, very easy to fall into, very difficult to figure your way out. 
And so what kind of people are vulnerable to this, to, to cults, to gurus, right? People like me when I fell so hard for Dennis Prager's teachings, but uh, I was at my wit's end. I was having all sorts of problems in life and I was on my own. I lacked normal human connections. You know what type of people don't go to Southeast Kenya to starve themselves or what type of people don't fall for gurus by and large? People who have family. <laughs> people who have family that they love and who love them and who are relying on them to meet their roles in the family, in the community. Right? If you've got children, if you've got a spouse, right, you're not going to be very likely to starve yourself to meet Jesus or to be convinced by Dennis Prager that we're living in a civil war, that America is becoming like Nazi Germany. So... Impeach him as a national security threat. And someone, for the love of God, will you warn all those people of color who are illegally smuggling themselves into America, screaming asylum, that they just snuck into Nazi Germany? Seriously, if it is so bad, why does everyone want to come here? If Joe Biden thinks the biggest threat to America is white supremacy, he should, again, immediately launch a congressional inquiry tomorrow into the most racist statements made by a living president. Okay, so whether it's an evangelical Christian pastor telling yourself to starve yourself to meet Jesus, or it's Dennis Prager saying that we're in a civil war and becoming like Nazi Germany, when you listen, or Dave Rubin, I can't take listening to Dave Rubin for, for very long, but uh, one thing you'll notice about all these gurus is that they're very distinctive people, that their greatness comes as a burden. They're like Harry Potter, right? That they were just born with greatness. And then as you listen to them, it's very easy if you're not strongly rooted in your family to tumble into a bubble of belief that while seductively easy to enter can then be almost impossible to think your way out of again, right? This is Stephen Law. He wrote a terrific book published by my publisher, Prometheus Books. They published my first book on a history of sex in film. This book came out in 2011, Believing Bullshit, How Not to Get Sucked into an Intellectual Black Hole. So what makes, say, Dennis Prager's belief bubble so seductive, all right? His belief bubble, when I encountered it in 1988 on KBC Radio in Los Angeles, a lot of good stuff in here, but he just put it together in a particularly seductive way. Right? Belief that without God, murder is not objectively wrong. Right? There's no transcendent good and evil without belief in God. That's, that's true. Belief that without God, you can't produce a good society. Well, the Japanese somehow have produced you know, far more moral societies with far less crime than anything that Jews or Christians have ever produced. The belief that people aren't basically good. I believe that's true. The belief that the most important thing in life is to develop good people. Yes, that's true. Dennis Prager thought that you could accomplish this primarily by direct moral education, but I've reluctantly come to realize that uh, people behaving decently is overwhelmingly a product of people having ties to other people. If you feel connected to your family, to your friends, to your community, you are not going to want to bring shame on the people that you love, and so you will tend to behave decently. Do I believe in the flood? I believe in whatever historians have established. Do I believe in the Hebrew Bible? Yes, I believe in the Hebrew Bible. I believe in you know, whatever scholars have established. And then I add on top of that my faith belief that uh, the final analysis, the ultimate author of the Bible is God.
Okay, belief that God gave the Torah the divine recipe for goodness. Belief that Judaism embodies ethical monotheism. Right, that's absolutely enticing, but it's not very accurate. Right, ethical monotheism is not the essence of Judaism. Judaism is the religious expression of a tribal culture. Belief that hatred of Jews represents hatred of God. I, I don't believe that that's true. Sometimes it does, perhaps, but uh, just as frequently, it's a reaction to conflicting group interests. Belief that God rewards and punishes, not just in this life, but in the world to come. Yeah, I believe in that. Belief that the United States is great because of its Judeo-Christian values and that it represents the best hope for humanity. I wouldn't sign out with that. The United States is powerful because of a combination of its demographics and its geography and the Anglo-Saxon system that it it uh, inherited largely from England has served the United States well. Belief that if academic studies contradict common sense, you can just ignore them. So like Presidents George W. Bush and Donald J. Trump. All right, uh, Prager prefers just to go with his gut rather than with the experts. Sometimes your gut is right, but sometimes the experts are right. The belief that the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. Upon analysis, I don't think that stands up. And then Prager also has foundational belief that IQ doesn't matter, which is absurd. Nothing has replicated in academic studies as well as the predictive and explanatory power of IQ. So this 2011 book by philosopher Stephen Law is called Believing Bullshit, How Not to Get Sucked into an Intellectual Black Hole. So cosmologists talk about black holes and objects so gravitationally powerful that nothing, not even light, can break away from them. Well, there are lots of gurus and talk show hosts who create intellectual black holes that feature belief systems constructed in such a way that unwary passers-by can find themselves similarly drawn in. And those who lack robust intellectual and psychological defenses are the most easily trapped, but we're all potentially vulnerable. So if you want to achieve the status of a guru, it helps to have some natural charisma and presentational skills. Sincerity and empathy, or at least the ability to fake them, can be useful. State the obvious. Try pointing out the blindingly obvious. Only do it incredibly slowly and with an air of superior wisdom. The technique works best if your pronouncements focus on one of life's big themes, such as love, money, and death. So, for example, we were all children once. Money can't buy you love. Death is unavoidable. So just state the obvious in a sufficiently earnest way. Perhaps follow up with a pregnant pause you may find others begin to nod in agreement, perhaps murmuring, yes, how very true that is. And then generate pseudo-profundity. Take some fairly trite observation about the human condition, such as life is often surprising. People often feel there's something missing from their lives. We should appreciate things while we can. We should make the most of the opportunities we get. Then wrap your chosen trite observation in an analogy. So life is like A is a template. So pseudo-profundity's greatest enemy is clarity. One of the most effective methods of disarming pseudo-profundity is to translate what is said into plain English. And that will reveal that what the guru is saying is one, an obvious falsehood or nonsense or just a truism. Also, laughter similarly helps break the spell that uh, the gurus and the pseudo-profundity cast over us, a little satire. Helps us recognize we've been taken in by someone spouting little more than truisms, falsehoods, or nonsense dressed up as profundity. So that's why those who spout pseudo-profundity strongly discourage satire and mockery. 
and they tend to take enormous, even exaggerated offense at it. So let's listen to what pseudo-profundity sounds like. Oh, the Volunteer, I think it's called. And it came out recently. It was about a Polish man who volunteered to be confined in Auschwitz, the gigantic Nazi death camp, concentration camp, in order to report to the world what is going on there. An amazing thing that he did this. One of these heroes that people don't know about. And he reported it. And the Brits and the Americans did nothing. Nothing. They did nothing. Nothing. Well, what they did is what every other nation state, you know, fighting for its life has done. It, it tried to win the war. And the British and the Americans won the war. The idea that the British and the Americans should divert resources from winning the war to bombing concentration camps in enemy territory just doesn't happen in the real world, doesn't happen in history, but it just sounds so morally profound. I just can't capture Dennis Prager's diction and voice. He's just so good at doling out the pseudo-profundity and also at times real profundity. Like he's a man with real intelligence, real charm. He has real gifts. He has real insights and also a lot of nonsense. All he said, please bomb us. Just just bomb us. Right, there's no precedence for doing this, right? The British and the Americans did the best they could to win the war as quickly as possible. That was the best thing they could do for themselves, for the Jews, for Europeans, for everyone. We're, we're, we're totally happy to die. Don't worry about the prisoners. We're going to die anyway. And they did nothing. It's 1941 that I'm up to, and they're all, they've already started gassing Soviet uh, prisoners in the thousands. And they haven't started with the gassing of Jews yet. And the, British, the Brits got the report through the Polish underground. And they said, oh, this is, uh, this is just exaggerations. And anyway, we, we uh, certainly can't talk about Jews because people then won't, won't listen. The amount of anti-Semitism in the West was remarkable. And, we, you know, we have, we have other things to do. So, uh, so he's making it sound like it's anti-Semitism that limited Britain and America from bombing Auschwitz. But there's just no precedence for it. Britain and America did what they could, along with the Soviet Union, to end the Nazi regime as quickly as feasible. You have to understand, telling people the truth about bad news. Run right. See, Dennis Prager sees himself as a man of the same spirit as this Paul who voluntarily stepped into Auschwitz. Right? Dennis Prager is voluntarily stepping into the filth and the muck of daily news. He'd rather just spend his time studying Torah but he's stepping into the filth of the muck of, of daily news to warn you about what's really going on. He's a truth teller, like this Paul in Auschwitz. But what he's really doing is committing epistemic sabotage, making people less effective and less happy, unnecessarily anxious and worried. He's up against, and he said, and the author is a very fine author. The author points that out. People lived, he called it a twilight between knowing facts and believing facts. Also, people were limited what they could do 
the, these concentration camps were way behind enemy lines. So really, you want to make the case that the British and Americans should have diverted resources from winning the war to mount some kind of rescue operation you know, thousands of miles behind enemy lines. Isn't that a good point? That's what we're living in, it's this twilight. I right. he, he wants to compare us to World War II, right? That uh, could it happen here? Yes, it is happening here. This is just to the extent that anyone buys into this, believes this, is affected by this. It's just so unhealthy, damaging. It's just so self-aggrandizing for the pundit and the guru you know, to, to make these proclamations and to commit epistemic sabotage by discouraging people from seeking out alternative sources of information instead of the pundit. I bring to you these facts of the left-wing destruction of, of the West, and yet most people, most people don't know about it, and even people who hear about it live in a twilight. Well, it's not that bad. Things will turn out okay. You have the Regulatory Commission on Energy, the commissioner, and the, and the, uh, was it, the, the, who was the other guy? The acting chairman. So there's a chairman and a committee. And remember, the mainstream media has done numerous, numerous stories on strains and threats and challenges to the electrical grid. But Dennis Prager is talking like he is giving you inside information that the competing sources of information don't want you to know about. These, this is just like all those conservative cons. Oh, the miracle cures, they don't want you to know about. The natural cures, they don't want you to know about. Did you know there's an oil field in the placenta? And they don't want you to know about that. Did you know that uh, natural immunity is better than vaccine immunity? Uh, this is putting the con in conservative. Commissioner, okay. And uh, they're telling you there's going to be a catastrophic breakdown in the electrical grid. And nobody reports it. Nobody reports it but Dennis Prager. He's the hero. He's the one telling you the truth. But all the other mainstream media have reported the strains and challenges and difficulties and dangers with the electrical grid. Right? He's setting himself up as the guru who's dispensing you know, ultimate profundity, just like the poll who went to Auschwitz. But it's a con. It's not the same as Auschwitz. But it's an example. People report but no one hears it i just read to you the new york times has 20 articles in the past year about problems with america's electrical grid and yet dennis wants to maintain oh they're not reporting this a catastrophic breakdown in the electrical grid do you do you have an idea what that will do look he has a great speaking voice he has a way of, of communicating his ideas it just sounds so profound and particularly if you don't have a say a good relationship with your own father right? it's very tempting to take on you know dennis prager as your substitute father figure there is no more energy to do anything that relies on electricity and it is all because of joe biden and the democrats and all your liberal not leftist all Oh, all, all our problems, guys, with the electrical grid, all our problems with power and energy, it's all because of Joe Biden and the Democrats. All your liberal relatives will vote Democrat. 
because they have no idea what I've just told you. Because uh, They have no idea, even though all the mainstream media has talked about this on numerous occasions. But Brigger is committing epistemic sabotage. He's trying to persuade you through contempt and mockery and, and satire and all his formidable rhetorical skills that uh, competing sources of information, they're dishonest, right? They're out to victimize you. They're out to screw you over. But he's fighting for you. He's on your side against the nefarious elites, against the democratic, satanic pedophiles. They read the New York Times. So they have no idea of the damage. They don't even understand. They have no idea of the corruption of the Biden. Oh, they have no idea of the damage. They have no idea of the corruption. Right? I, I just read to you 20 different New York Times articles on this topic. We desperately need a new power grid. Here's how to make that happen. All right, that's May 4. 2023 in the New York Times. Here you go. We desperately need a new power grid. The editorial board. United States needs to dramatically expand the electric grid. Needs to happen fast. Without new power lines, much of that electricity will continue to be generated by burning carbon. Unless the United States rapidly accelerates the construction of power lines, 80% of the potential environmental benefits of electrification will be squandered. So numerous New York Times articles on the very topic that Dennis Prager claims the mainstream media is ignoring. In family. Because truth is not a left-wing value. And the New York Times is a... Ah, but it, it's a value to Dennis Prager. But he's just carrying out falsehood, epite- epistemic sabotage. Uh, half-truths, lies. A left-wing newspaper. And so is every other major newspaper, except the Wall Street Journal. What was that? Would they even care if they did? Yeah, that's a question. That's All right, Alan folks. So a good way you can get a handle on an outlet is, you know, what kind of grifter ads do they play? This is a great example of the world of destruction that we uh, that the left has planned for us acknowledging it guys they're building a world of destruction right they're building essentially concentration camps they're trying to destroy western civilization hitler wanted to destroy western civilization joe biden wants to destroy western civilization could it happen here it is happening here it's the end times guys and the electrical grid will not support America's power needs. You won't have heating if it's electrical. You won't have air conditioning. You won't be able to power your car if if you bought an electric car. This is what was announced in the Senate, and nobody's reported except this one I saw. Do me a favor. Do it. Just do a a word search. New York Times. uh, Willie Phillips. W i l l i. Oh, so if they if the New York Times doesn't quote Willie Phillips, then the New York Times is uh, falling down on the job, right? So Prager was cascading all these news sources, but uh, he apparently hadn't actually investigated how much these news sources had talked about these topics. Okay, I'm going to play play Dennis Prager. I.e., two L's and Phillips. One point five. Uh, it's hard to believe that they didn't report this. 
Again, we are heading. They did 20 stories on this, Dennis, over the past year. Right. Just because they didn't report Willie Phillips doesn't mean they're ignoring the topic. For a very catastrophic situation in terms of reliability. This is the commissioner of FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, to Senate under oath, I presume. His colleague, Commissioner James Danley, said that there is a, quote, looming reliability crisis in our electricity markets, all because of Joe Biden, our despicable president. Our despicable president. Like, I'm no Joe Biden fan, but despicable. And guess what? If Joe Biden didn't exist, we would still have problems with our electric power grid, right? Struggles with our electric power grid don't really have that much to do with Joe Biden. I don't know, maybe 5%, maybe 10% of our troubles with our electric power grid, you could possibly at most attribute to Joe Biden. We had problems with our electric power grid when Donald Trump was president. And I think Joe Biden and the Democrats and plenty of Republicans, there's lots of blame to go around. But this idea that there's just this one bad guy, there's just one bad party that's trying to end Western civilization like Hitler tried, seems a bit much to me. I've never said that about a president in my 40 years of broadcasting. Oh, so so Joe Biden, out of all the presidents we've had in, in the past 40 years, he's the one who, only one who's despicable? He's a despicable human being who is crushing this country deliberately. I don't know why. Because he's the tool of the left, because he really is a leftist. I don't know why, and I don't care. Since Joe Biden is crushing this country. If you didn't follow politics, you wouldn't notice any 99% of people, 99% of the time, would not notice any real-world difference between Barack Obama, Donald Trump, or Joe Biden being in office. It makes no difference to 99% of people, 99% of the time, in how they go about living their life, supporting their families, right, spending time with their children, right, pursuing their hobbies. Right, whoever's president of the United States or whoever has power in the United States Senate or the House of Representatives, right, it doesn't make much of a difference to ordinary people if they're not following politics as rapidly as we do. If you just ignore the news, just carry on with your obligations to your family and to your friends and to your community, right, polit whether it's Trump or Biden in office, 99% of the time, it's not going to have much of an effect on your life. I judge people by their behavior. The commissioners pointed to several factors for the reliability crisis, including numerous coal plants that are being retired prematurely. Uh, who did that? The damn environmentalists, these crackpots, these fanatics, who will destroy the country in the name of saving it. That's what they're doing. Oh, we're going to save you from global warming by destroying you first. Insufficient pipeline capacity to assure natural gas can be delivered to power plants. Who did that? What's the first thing that Joe Biden did when he came into office? And I'm on board with Prager's basic point that, you know, Biden and the Democrats have done some bad things with regard to energy. But he just so dramatically overstates it and creates epistemic sabotage about alternative sources of information. I'd, I'd like to think I've been live streaming on a near daily basis for seven years. I don't think I've you know, devoted myself to trying to tear down and destroy alternative sources of information. Uh, particularly, you know, official sources that are sometimes right. I, I, I don't see myself standing here and saying, oh, you can never believe anything the New York Times says, or you can never believe anything Dennis Prager says, or you, 
can never believe anything that millennial woe says. Like I, I recognize that you know, different people have different gifts, different institutions have different gifts. Like we can learn from a whole wide variety of people. I, I, I don't look out at the universe and just see, you know, good guys and bad guys. I, I recognize in certain situations that's incredibly useful. I subscribe to a God-based system of morality, so I do believe in objective good and evil, but I recognize that I'm making a leap of faith into that type of uh, thinking, so I don't try to promote it because it is based on my subjective leap of faith. Screw the Canadians, that's what he did. Even, even the State Department had signed off on a number of occasions for the safety of the pipeline. What? The environmentalists don't want us to use natural gas. Insufficient high voltage transmission capacity and distortions in the electricity market caused by massive federal subsidies for weather-dependent renewables. You hear that? Do you understand what that means? Distortions in the electricity market caused by massive federal... Stephen J. James wants edgy old Luke on Rumble, etc. Luke wants moderate Luke acceptable in all places. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I'm making a lot more money than I used to make when I was edgy. I'm a lot happier than, uh, well, I was pretty happy in 2018, but uh, I have a really good life. I, you know, I love my life. I'm not going to burn it up saying edgy things on the internet. All right. I want to be acceptable in all places. Yes, that's a very good critique there, Art Bell. Only the unintended comic effect can make Dennis Prager less than insufferable. Ah, we got Moon Man here. Moon Man, long time no see. Wait until the Strategic Petroleum Reserve goes right. Yes, I believe there, there are strong criticisms. And when Dennis is reading from the Substack, I agree with the critiques in the, in the Substack. And I agree with the critiques that Dennis Prager is making. If only he would remove them from World War II, destruction of Western civilization, hyperbolic life and death. You know, no other official sources of information are willing to bring this to you, right? If it just if you would remove the hyperbole and the dramatic overstatement and the self-aggrandizement, I would be on board with his criticisms. Federal subsidies for weather-dependent renewables. On the last point, Anley told the senators, FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, has allowed the markets to fall prey to the price-distorting and warping effects of subsidies these, this staggering hundreds of billions of dollars, is it trillions now, spent on, on renewables, as they're called, utterly distorting the market. That's Prager's producer, Alan Prager's allowed the markets to fall the prey to the price-distorting and warping effects of subsidies and public policies that have driven the advancement of large quantities of intermittent renewable resources onto the electric system. In his written testimony, Danley went further, saying, quote, most of these market-distorting forces originate with subsidies. Yes, that's right. All because of the left. All, 100%. Although there are so-called conservatives who bought the apocalyptic line, destroy society in order to save it, like Boris Johnson in the UK. Most of these market-distorting forces originate with subsidies, both state and federal, and from public policies that are otherwise designed to promote the deployment of non-dispatchable wind and solar assets or to drive fossil fuel generators out of business as quickly as possible. Possible. All right, I agree with those critiques. It's just the hyperbole and the overstatement that uh, gets me. But you've been good. You've been a wonderful audience. You deserve a little hate. Time ago, I said they've been. Sp right. It's treason. Look, look. When I came out a long time ago, I said they've been spying on my campaign. 
I said they've been taping, and that was in quotes, meaning a modern-day version of taping. It's all the same thing, but a modern-day version. But they've been spying on my campaign. I told you that a long time ago. Turned out I was right. Let's see what happens to them now. I am officially running for President of the United States. Should Russia have all the fun? And since Russia is clearly backing Republicans, why don't we ask China to back us? Take on the intelligence community. They have six ways from Sunday of getting back at you. And we need the intelligence community. We don't know what's going on. Look at the Russian hacking. One thing, I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. I designed this rhyme to remind myself of a time when I... In spite of the way you were mocking me, acting like I was part of your property. Okay, this better not be copyrighted music here. All the times you- is this famous music? Is this, what is this? Fought with me, I'm surprised it got so things aren't the way they were before. Okay, I, I, I can't, I can't take the risk, man. Is this, what is this? You wouldn't even recognize me anymore. Not that you knew me back then, but it all comes back to me. You kept everything inside, and even though I tried, it all fell apart. Okay. Conservatives hail. Daniel Penny is hero after killing a man on the subway. All right, he just didn't go kill a man. He killed a man who, you can make a very strong argument, was posing a risk. All right, so... Conservatives place more of a value on order and cleanliness and safety and avoiding catastrophe, right? Conservatives have a higher negativity bias than liberals. So I'm not endorsing what this man did, right? This man did not seem to be engaged in violence. Therefore, if you push me, I'm going to say I think uh, Daniel Perini was wrong to choke him out, right? Unless the man started acting violently, not just saying creepy things. I think it was ill-advised to take, you know, violent action against him. But uh, where leaders go, learning what follows. The heck? Join an exceptional what the heck? to sharpen your leadership. Oh man, I'm trying to play something from the Washington Post, and that they, they have to pop, they have to pop an ad on me. Anyway, conservatives are rallying around Daniel Penny. Conservatives hail Daniel Penny as hero after killing man on subway. In the nearly two weeks since Daniel Penny was recorded killing Jordan Neely on a New York City subway with a minutes-long chokehold, the 24-year-old Marine Corps veteran has faced calls to be arrested, been denounced as a vigilante by activists, and been labeled a murderer by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat, New York, but in the lead-up to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office charging him with second-degree manslaughter. Penny has found a groundswell of financial and online support from high-profile Republicans such as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Fox News personalities, and conservatives on Elon Musk's Twitter. Many of them have rallied around Penny and hailed the veteran as a hero and good Samaritan. Yeah, if you're in a public space and someone's saying crazy things, that should not be a license to get violent with the person. The only time you should get violent with someone in a public space is if they are wreaking violence on you or those you're trying to protect. But if someone's just saying crazy things, don't choke them out. We stand with good Samaritans like Daniel Penny, DeSantis tweeted Friday night. I believe in free speech, 
right? If someone's just saying crazy things, but they're not committing violence, don't commit violence against them. Let's show this Marine. America's got his back. The Marine who stepped in to protect others is a hero, tweeted Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican, Georgia. A legal defense fund set up by Penny's attorneys on a crowdfunding site that has hosted fundraisers for defendants in the January 6, 2021, insurrection and Kyle Rittenhouse had raised more than $1 million as of Saturday afternoon. Most of the money has come from anonymous donors thanking him for what he did and agreeing with his lawyer's statement that Penny never intended to harm Neely, 30. Yeah, don't get violent unless you have to. Right. Uh, who was this leaker? This news story right. was written by Shane Harris, Samuel Oakford, and Chris A. Gampor. Alleged leaker fixated on guns and envisioned race war. Videos and chat logs reveal Jack Teixeira's preparations for a violent social conflict. His racist... Yeah, so if you're hanging out with someone who is fixated on race war, uh, not a good idea to hang out with them. ...thinking and a deep suspicion of the government he served. Editor's note, videos in this presentation include racist language and gunshots, which oh, no. may be disturbing to some readers. Oh, no. Jack Teixeira, dressed in camouflage fatigues, his finger wrapped oh, around shit. the trigger of a semi-automatic rifle, faced the camera and spoke as though reciting an oath. Jew scam, NRS rape, and I mag dump. Teixeira raised his weapon, aimed at an unseen target and fired ten times in rapid succession, emptying the magazine of bullets. The six-second video, taken at a gun range near Teixeira's home in Massachusetts, affords a brief but illuminating glimpse into the offline world of the 21-year-old National Guard member, who's... Okay, let's uh, scroll through these uh, disturbing pictures. Uh-oh, offensive language. Jews scam, rape, and I'm Magdal. Okay. He talked quite a bit about shooting. He enjoyed, like, prepping, which is preparing for some world event that's going to happen. Mostly it was different that. types of guns and how they worked, different types of ammunition, things like that. I think anyone looking from the outside in doesn't see a community of people just kind of joking around. It definitely looks like they're mostly extreme looking from the outside in. In these communities, Almost everyone I knew that had a gun had shared some form of meme about setting traps in their home, killing an ATF agent. It's something that's downplayed to the point where it's like saying a knock-knock joke at that point. In my opinion, the difference between his views and extreme right-wing views is a lot of extreme right-wing people want America to be completely dissolved. Especially people like neo-Nazis absolutely hate the whole concept of America and democracy. He loved America, he loved democracy, he liked capitalism, it's just he thought the government had overstepped and was not doing their job anymore. Where did they overstep in his view? They overstepped with some of their gun laws, their more, I guess, liberal agendas. Uh, I remember things like the bathroom ban, where they had started allowing trans students into bathrooms of their chosen gender. That made him very angry. Did he think of himself as a racist? He did call himself racist multiple times. I would say he's racist to an extent, yeah. Was he proud of being a racist? I would say he was proud of it. He screamed a lot of the N-word pretty often, a lot of slurs pretty often. Did he ever talk about 
acting out violently against people in the real world. Yes, he did. Um, he had told me multiple times about when he was younger, his desire to shoot up his school. To my knowledge, he never hurt anyone physically, but he absolutely talked about it pretty often. Alright, not, uh, not the type of person that uh, a wise man would hang out with. Got polarized by the pandemic. Problems in his personal life. Jack had quite a bit of issues with his family. He would get angry quickly and annoyed quickly. He thought very lowly of himself. I didn't really get a sense of why. Okay, so someone who's connected to his family and community, friends, church, synagogue, has a good solid job, is not likely to think lowly of himself. Just like the type of people who go out to East Kenya and starve themselves to meet Jesus, but again, not people who are connected to family, friends, community, and profession. Why he didn't feel good enough. It seemed to me like he just always was this way. He had a lot of troubles in school, and I think that probably made it a lot worse, wanting other people in school to like him. He didn't have many friends. Was he bullied in school? I wouldn't say he was bullied, but he definitely wasn't liked by many people. He definitely could not take a joke. If someone were to make fun of him because he wasn't good at a game, he would get angry. If someone were to make fun of someone in his family, he would get very angry. His conservative politics came from his dad. From what I remember, his dad was pretty conservative, and he lived with them at the time that I knew him. He had a group of friends online that were quite a bit younger than him. Was that important to him that these young kids looked up to him? I think in some way he wanted to be a form of father figure. He would sit in calls with them for hours debating about politics, telling them why he thought their views weren't good and why they should believe in something else, teaching them about things like guns, politics. He always did want to be seen as powerful and important, but when I knew him, it was not as uncontrolled as it seemed in the recent months. He seemed a lot angrier and egotistical. I think he must have had quite a big change of heart. Okay, so when you're not connecting with people in the real world, when you're not rooted with your family and community and profession, all right, you've got to get sustenance from somewhere. And so I know from my own experience of feeling disconnected from others, I'd create, you know, an imaginary self. I would create, you know, imaginary dramas where I became a very important person. So the more connected I was with, I was with people in the real world, the less need I had to manufacture drama and the less I spent, you know, fantasizing about how grand I could be. But even when you are connected, you're still going to be driven by a feeling of importance, all right? I am doing this live stream because it fills my feeling of importance. So there is an adaptive way of trying to feel important, and there is a maladaptive way of trying to feel important. There's an adaptive way of loving people. There's a maladaptive way of loving people. Let's see any more. Here, guns fired in Jack Teixeira's parents' home. And I want to rewatch The Accountant. Love that movie. I'm going to go work out, lift some weights, rewatch The Accountant.
That's it. Bye-bye.